The Dudecast is brought to you by NHS Employers in partnership with the NHS Leadership Academy. Hello, I'm Paul Taylor Pitt. And I'm Karen Dumaine. Earlier this year, Vilma Nikolaidou, head of OD at Tate Galleries, spoke at our People Transforming Systems event and gave us an insight into how OD has helped shape the gallery experience for staff and visitors. We were really fascinated to hear Vilma's description of how art and OD intersect. So at her invitation, Paul and I met her at Tate Britain for an in-depth OD-inspired tour of the galleries. Vilma, can you describe what you're seeing? So this is a neon line light installation that um, has been here in the uh, Devine Galleries, the main sort of concourse at Tate Britain uh, for a while. Um, and it's, it's, it's light, it's um, quite surprising because you've got these sort of classical columns uh, made of stone uh, and then these kind of super bright lights coming out of them uh, in shapes that cannot be described, totally anarchic, which are modern and in a classical space. And from a distance it looks completely messy. Everything looks like it's all jumbled and looks like um, a bunch of spaghetti. But then as you get closer to it, like underneath it, it's all separate, it's all individual bits of light. Yes, I'm always thinking of kind of some of the work that we do in organisational development around systems and, and now that I'm just thinking this is, this is a representation of a system isn't it? It's, uh, everything is connected to something else uh, and it's connected in a particular way and there's a purpose for where it is and the purpose is not always obvious but uh, um, it's all holding together uh, and there's tension and there is power and there is energy because it's all electrical so uh, this could well be the Tate Gallery. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us how you came to be at the Tate Galleries? So I first came uh, here in 2001 just after Tate opened the new Tate Modern and I was uh, again very much drawn like we're drawn now to these lights. I so wanted to be part of that and I did um, three and a half amazing years and I left and went to other places and always missed it uh, and I came back uh, eight and a half years ago and since then I moved into organisational development from sort of mainstream HR. What did OD look like in Tate when you first arrived? So we didn't have it. Um, change was done in ways that uh, were very well meaning. It didn't have a home. Um, we didn't have people with that sort of uh, job title, if you like, um, and it tended to be more a sort of, you know, as, as a project kind of basis. Uh, we needed to change that part of the organisation. We'll have a business case and then a restructuring and then some plans that fall out of this and new job descriptions. Um, and, uh, you know, which, which requires enormous skill, enormous uh, concentration, focus. Um, but there was that kind of linearity that you start the process and then you finish the process. And when you finish the process, you expect and you hope that people will be where you want them to be. Uh, and it was becoming increasingly uh, obvious to date, circa 2008, 9, um, that that can't be the only model. There's, there's a lot to be said for that kind of linearity. 
uh, but we were facing the opening of the new Tate Modern Extension, as we used to call it, and that was a massive capital project. Uh, and the organisation had a good sense, although not well articulated probably at the time, that this, this new building requires us to sort of think about ourselves differently, work differently, structure ourselves differently. Uh, and so OD came out of, of that, of that sense of um, we're doing okay. Uh, in some areas we're doing brilliantly, uh, but what an amazing opportunity to do even better with the opening of the new Tate Modern. What was your role in shaping how OD showed up? I wanted to bring in uh, sort of different aspects of change. I wanted to uh, create space um, for kind of things like the psychology around change to be uh, to be explored um, uh, things like this sort of uh, this idea of involving people um, people who might not have necessarily sort of power in hierarchical ways in the organization but they have a lot of knowledge um, and they have a lot of skill and we should be sort of bringing them into into the conversation and and, and this sense that sort of feelings and emotions around change matter a lot uh, and I sort of had a sense that this was an, a, an area of sort of you know almost no go that you know we leave that we try to sort of manage this let's manage change let's manage the emotion let's manage the feeling uh, manage resistance there's this kind of like uh, managerialism that comes with uh, with change often and I just thought it would be interesting to explore how in a place like ours which is full of pictures and visuals and um, uh, and emotions uh, we want this emotional connection of our visitors to the art um, well we have to honor it in our own stuff as well and make sure that our own people our workforce have a place to sort of explore all of this shall we move into another room It's interesting because we're in a gallery now which has got a lot of tradition in it, some old paintings. And so I was really, as you were talking, feeling the history and the tradition of Tate. So I was really interested about where you started. Where did you start with that journey of trying to have a different lens of change? So where I started, I made the classic sort of, I think, change professional mistake, which is gung-ho, um, plan for what you want to see, uh, try to sort of engage, enthuse everybody to just look forward. Um, and um, f f for a few kind of years afterwards, what, what, what I've experienced was kind of this, this pull back, um, which uh, uh, often as, as an OD practitioner, I, I experienced it as kind of either resistance or, or people. And, and, and then there was kind of, I think I've started realizing, probably a bit too late, um, that history and legacy, um, the way this place is set, the way these pictures around us are, we're in what, 1500s now, 1600s, a Tudor sort of painting room, has an absolute impact on how we relate to each other. Probably, it's a, I'd say it's a good place to start with a history to move forward, or just kind of pay some tribute to what happened before, uh, which I mostly thought was to be left behind. So the paintings in this room, they're really formal, everyone's posed and very mm. elegant. So is this the roots of Tate? Is this what you had to then 
grow from was that sense of tradition and respect and authority. T tradition, respect of a hierarchy, uh, a kind of like somberness and seriousness around the artistic endeavour, um, which actually some people would say they still are part of our organisation, certainly in terms of kind of being hierarchical, um, who has the voice. So yes, it was like that, but but it, it also had this sort of this this other playful aspect, the, the sort of you know the the modern art, the contemporary art, the is this art or is this rubbish? You know, my five-year-old could do this, um, uh, which, which our last director, Nicholas Rotter, brought into uh, and completely sort of changed the, the terms of engagement with art. Um, so it's quite, it's quite a tricky balance between this history and tradition all the way to these artists who want to, you know, blow up their sheds like Cornelia Parker did. What was the role of staff in Tate when you first arrived? How were they seen and, and how did they perceive themselves? So in many ways we were and probably still are a paternalistic organisation. So there was, there was a sense of kind of, you know, looking after people, wanting people to be, uh, to feel proud about the place. And indeed they did and they still do. Um, combined with kind of a sense of, you know, not, 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 lack of certainty about you know what their role um, was in in the organization and, and a day-to-day -day experience that didn't quite match uh, this idea of, of pride and engagement and enjoyment of being in this amazing place how would I have experienced staff back then as a member of the public when I came into the gallery what would I feel and see from them mm -hmm. um, Traditionally, and let's say 20 or even 10, 15 years ago, um, it was very much sort of security focused. Uh, it was very much sort of the custodian, and the custodian is um, the person who has the power to stop you doing damage to the work. Um, uh, moving much more to sort of this this kind of idea of. Um, visitor assistants that were here to offer you assistance, probably at a more sort of passive level that, you know, if you want to approach me, I can help you. Uh, right all the way to sort of where we are right now, um, or where we're hoping to be more and more, uh, where, where our front of house staff are very much, uh, you know, what we call live interpreters, you know, storytellers. So they can, they can work with people, um, around their particular needs or find what they what excites them um, or right just behind you uh, 10 minute talks so you know it, it, 15 years ago 20 years ago uh, that talk would be given by somebody with many many degrees in art history uh, now this is given by anyone and do these ideas come up from the staff or is that an upward um, yeah. ideas and then taken on and you you try very hard to establish something uh, and uh, and and you may be failing in all sorts of ways and then you walk into a conversation that sort of unlocks uh, organizational development in unexpected places um, so I was talking to our director of learning and um, around how, she, how she's brought this, uh, this, this change, around how we engage with audiences and how we bring art um, to our visitors. Um, so I borrowed this, this model from her, this space-time content method model, um, that at any point you can change one of these four things, or in all of them you can change the space uh, that you use to do something, um, or you can change the time. 
um, and you can certainly change the content, what goes into uh, what you're doing uh, or the method that you use. And I took this and I, I, I worked in an OD way around these four sort of areas. Um, to, to bring about change. And we've ended up in front of the Lady of Shalott, which yes. was a, a painting that you used in your presentation. And you talked about your relationship to this painting and how it embodied an aspect of change that you experienced in Tate. It, it sort of captured where I was uh, in relation to organisational change, if you like, or organisational development, this sense of um, of, of, of stillness and a little bit of stuckness. Uh, there isn't much movement in that in, in, in that picture. Um, I wanted something different. I'm, I was drawn to that picture and I just so much wanted that picture to move. So we're just walking past the poster for the Queer British Art Exhibition. So where did the idea for that come from? The Queer British Art Exhibition um, was born within um, LGBT plus staff network. So um, our lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans um, and other uh, staff network, uh, something I worked with uh, for a long time, I chaired and I have been um, intimately involved with, um, has, um, was, has always been a forum for discussion and just encouraging Tate um, to explore LGBT identities in all parts of its of its work, including sort of the workforce. And um, colleagues came up with the idea three, four years ago that we should be marking the 50th anniversary of the partial decriminalization of homosexuality in Britain uh, with some sort of um, uh, museum work. Uh, we were envisaging a small display, uh, maybe uh, a couple of works in a small room uh, dedicated to um, queer art. Um, and we, I remember, I, I remember the, sort of the excitement and the, we were all fired up in the room, but we were also quite conservative. We sort of knew that this is not the done thing in the organisation. So the, the norms of the organisations were sort of hanging over our heads. Um, as something not to be disturbed um, and one of the norms in the organization uh, or in a museum in an art gallery is that uh, the art historians the curators decide the exhibitions um, so so i i thought this is this is great uh, but it's it's a long way from becoming reality um, so we worked together we developed the the proposal uh, and uh, colleagues with a lot more art historical knowledge than me did an amazing uh, presentation uh, and then decided to just take it to the director. Uh, so this is again what happens when you sort of bypass the norms. Uh, we didn't go through any formal decision-making process, um, partly because we didn't know what it was. Uh, and that's also another sort of beauty uh, and of, of this organization. <laughs> you can make decisions outside formalities. Um, and uh, the then director gave her uh, approval. Uh, and then it started as a small project and then it became bigger and bigger and the energy and the buy-in around it was growing and I felt the work that the network did uh, supporting and advocating for the exhibition and building a case for 
its importance and for how important it would be and what a missed opportunity it would be for the institution, for Tate Britain, to not have anything in 2017 to mark um, the sort of new age of inclusion that came in Britain um, in, uh, after the partial decriminalisation would be a great shame. Um, and look where we are, uh, a big scale exhibition, um, the word queer with massive letters, uh, there's a real sense of pride in the institution about this, which uh, that just wasn't there four years ago. I think there's a lot in this exhibition that shows how organisations can do things differently if they, sh they give voice and power to different people. It feels like such a great example of OD in action, where you're looking at um, harnessing the power of the collective wisdom of the people who actually work in the organisation, how you've used that in a, a bit of a subversive way, but still within the boundaries of what's acceptable. You've disrupted some patterns and actually you've now got this amazing exhibition to show for it, which came from a group of people whose voices were maybe not heard before. Yes, uh, and, and each, it's exactly all of that. And, and, and each of these people um, were willing to put themselves forward with a degree of agency they, they had. Because that, that's the other thing. I think we all have agency. We might not realise it. But I had a particular agency because I was chairing the group. And I also happen to have a head of title, which kind of affords me uh, certain access in, into uh, the top of the organisation. Um, other colleagues have got this amazingly rich art historical knowledge, which meant that the proposal was solid. Nobody could say this is not a good piece of, um, this is not good suggestion for an exhibition or the art is not good. Um, therefore, how we harnessed that agency and we kept going was really important. So when you look back at that journey from uh, the Lady of Shalott hoping for change through to the Queer British Art Exhibition. How would you describe the kind of main learning points about OD that you've picked up along the way? I go back to the Lady of Shalott and give her a lot more credit to what I did originally. Uh, there is there's absolutely value in stillness, there's, there's value in, in kind of solitude sometimes and just being with yourself and working out uh, things so from an OD perspective, I, I value that a lot. Um, queer Bridge Chat for me is, is the power of not giving up, the power of um, having an idea, giving it space to grow even if it seems um, completely uh, not plausible in a big institution like ours um, and, and just trusting trusting that the process may, may take you there, uh, but not trusting too much, so sort of stepping up a gear or two um, when you need to. So, so many lessons from this around people's voices being heard, showing a different institution to the world. And also, I think there's something really powerful about that the staff have curated it and helped it create, which you were talking about how that's very different than traditionally that would have never happened. So it's interesting, the curator is part of the, of the LGBT network, but she's also an art historian, a curator. So in that sense, you've got a, a traditional sort of curatorial um, uh, setup there, uh, but very different level of engagement with different voices in the organisation. So Tate Gallery is part of the fabric of the country. It's a real national treasure. So we look at it from the perspective of another national treasure in the NHS. And what kind of advice or encouragement would you give to our NHS OD practitioners 
who are working in big organisations with some fantastic opportunities and challenges. The neon lights, the um, kind of that representation of the system. The system is really important. You work as part of a big system and you're constantly aware of it and, and enabled or constrained, as the case may be, uh, by the big NHS system. And that's kind of not avoidable. And look, we're back into Queer British Art, which is all about individual stories. It's all about individual people um, who experience something in those. And, 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 and those experiences, despite this being a, 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 an age of um, criminalization of how people loved and wanted to live their lives, therefore a different kind of constraint, uh, but still constraint. Uh, there's just so much joy. You see this exhibition and you don't have a sense that uh, the lives of these people are all, were all doom and gloom. Uh, there were lives fulfilled, there, was lives, there were lives well lived, and there are just all these individual stories. And I think in the end, what the NHS is, is a whole system of individual stories. You touch each one of us individually and that's what we carry from the NHS. Um, and I think OD has got such a power sort of to work on the system and then work on the individual story. Um, and that's what makes it exciting. So Vilma, I just want to say a huge thank you. It's been so interesting for our tour of the gallery, making some connections with OD. And I know that you're leaving the Tate, so I wish you all of the success in your new journey. Thank you very much. Thank you for all the support you've given to our NHS OD community. Uh, you've spoken at our events, you've given us access into the Tate today and hearing your story. And we're very grateful. We think of you as part of our family. So thank you, Vilma, and all the best. Thank you. I feel an honorary member of the NHS OD community. <laughs>